Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And I'm awake. Are you awake after you got the nap last night during the debate? It was the best two hours sleep I've ever had. (laughs) I don't want to fixate on the boringness of the debate because I think politics is not meant to be entertainment. Mm -hmm. And quite often it is boring and yet consequential. However, everyone keeps talking about how unentertaining it was. But there was a moment that I really, the goosebumps were raised. Oh, come on. What were the goosebumps? When Abby Phillip. The lovely black woman. The White House correspondent for CNN. The sister from CNN asked Bernie Sanders Mm -hmm. what I thought was a reasonable question. Did you say to Elizabeth Warren that a woman can't win the presidency? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want this to be a media critique, but then when Bernie said in long form, no, I did not, I don't think like that, in 1988, I was saying, no, that's not the case. Right. And then she turned, Abby turned to Elizabeth and said, when he said that, I was like, what what do you, so now you're just assuming that he said that after, and Elizabeth Warren did not say, yes, he said that, did not turn to Bernie and say, yes, you said that, you know that you said that. These are the words that you used. And I have a hard time believing that Bernie Sanders said that to her. Yeah, I also have a hard time believing that. I think that in the context, right, of understanding the 2016 election, where we came off of the whole entire conversation around electability and people not liking Hillary Clinton, I can imagine that Bernie Sanders would say something to the extent of America hates women and will probably never vote for a woman, as opposed to, I don't think a woman could ever be president of the United States. I find that hard to believe, but I will say that that line of questioning I also thought was absolute nonsense, because when When someone says to you, I did not say something, you don't then call them a liar on national television and turn to the other candidate and say, so when they said that, like even Bernie's face, and if I were him on stage, I'd have been like, "Uh, excuse me, excuse me, did you not just hear what I just said? (laughs) Because I thought that that was pretty outrageous of her. And again, I'm not going to do a media critique because I would be here all day, as would all of you. But, you know, it's pretty hard to be the worst debate. But they did it. (sighs) You know, 
we have a conversation that was had in a private room between two people, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how we're supposed to split the atom of saying this person's relatively vague account is right, and this person saying, no, I didn't say that. Well, we're just going to dismiss that. And how CNN.com would go with a story that comes from one person saying this happened. And I'm not saying this as a Bernie supporter. I am primarily Elizabeth Warren supporter. I would happily vote for Bernie. But I don't appreciate this story coming out in this way now and the Warren camp seeming to try to use this to hurt Bernie and separate the two of them. Now, this issue Mm -hmm. has been prevalent throughout this pre-primary. Sure. And there are a lot of men in particular who will say in overt or coded language, we should not nominate a woman. And are they referencing sexism? Are they referencing Hillary? And I have consistently found that a disgusting thought. Mm -hmm. I don't find it politically viable. I absolutely think a woman can win. I don't see any reason why you would say a woman can't win. And all the men who have lost. Oh, that was good. (laughs) We never say, well, maybe we should try a woman next time. Even though women are a larger part of the electorate than men. Because men get to continue to fail up. And let me be specific and say white men get to continually fail upwards. And I thought that Elizabeth Warren's response to that foolish line of questioning was smart when she laid out the fact that You know, only the two women that were on the stage, her and Amy Klobuchar, haven't lost an election, whereas the men combined have lost 10. I think that she put the electability question to bed. And we know that that question is really based in both sexism and racism, which is that, oh, America isn't ready for fill in the blank. As long as you are a white man, oh, my God, are we ready for you? But every straight white man, but everybody else like, oh, we just have to wait it it's just not the right time and i and it'll never and that's what i say to people on twitter all the time it'll never be the right time until it's the right time yeah right it wasn't magic that it was 2008 and it was the right time for an african-american president he was captivating he was inspiring we met the moment and sometimes you have to meet a moment instead of waiting for the moment to meet you or snatch the moment because in january of 2008 Our most astute black and white political analysts were not saying America is ready for a black candidate. Mm -hmm. No one was saying that. So he forced it on us by showing his greatness and all these other things. So it's not like America is going to say, well, now we're ready for a woman. No, because you're never going to be you're never going to be ready for a woman. And as a matter of fact, the thing that always pisses me off about Bernie Sanders and people know that a lot pisses me off about Bernie Sanders was that following the election being stolen from Hillary Clinton, Mm -hmm. that he wanted to say that, oh, the election was lost because of identity politics. And that was not the fucking case. The election was lost because you had... Russia in cahoots with the Trump campaign and you had a misinformation campaign. You had all of these other things. And it wasn't Comey. right. And Comey and all of these. It wasn't because Hillary Clinton was a woman. She was the most qualified person to have run for president yeah. ever yeah. in the history of the presidency. So I, I find it just incredibly frustrating that it's always what we go back to, which is that we're not ready. It's not the time. Oh, we need to slow our roll. How do we jump from a black man to 
then a woman? Oh, my God. That but, just but, seems crazy. We need to put a white supremacist in between that. <laughs> when you talk about identity politics, that always means black, brown, female, mm -hmm. gay, lesbian. It doesn't mean white men, but Donald Trump is all about identity politics. Yes. And yes, Joan Walsh has talked about that many voters are afraid of the Democratic Party because they seem to be reaching out to people who are not the straight white men who have been getting the lion's share of everything forever. But Donald Trump played to that community in a way that no one ever had. And the Republican mm -hmm. Party, I think you can map, they've been ramping up and up, looking more toward that line of thinking. So he's just, again, he's a symptom. Right. Of a problem that's been increasing. But he exponentializes that rise. He is absolutely playing identity politics, of course. white male grievance, white victimhood, playing up to white privilege, pointing to black and brown and Asian people mm -hmm. as your real problem, not me. It's not the wealthy. It's the poor black, brown and Asian people who are stealing your jobs. Which is a you weird okie doke because it actually is the wealthy actually is your problem. It's almost like the wealthy said, Johnny, go out there and tell them we're not the problem because Bernie and Elizabeth are trying to make and Hillary trying to make them think that we're the problem. Okay. But I honestly think, you know, and, and people will often say that, oh, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but the reality is, is that I think that. Mainstream media is creating this food fight between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders because they want a moderate. They want each of those progressive camps, even though they've had a pact this entire cycle, right, not to attack each other and to support whoever was going to become the nominee because it's time for a progressive because incremental change is not where we're at anymore, not right. after having this type of backwards administration. And so I personally believe that you have these wealthy, white, straight men that are in power, that are in power of these networks, that are in these positions that want to create this friction so that they can hold on to their money. I because they know that if a Warren or a Bernie Sanders becomes president of the United States, States, then all of a sudden we're going to have to talk about equity in our economy and our fucked up capitalist structure that is benefiting the top 1% that is benefiting them. And so as long as you have moderates like a Biden, like a Buttigieg that are fine with corporate money, that are fine with that kind of investment and being beholden to those people, then they will be able to hold on to their money. It is this idea of attack these progressives take them down, and then who is left standing? Oh, we can deal with them because it'll be incremental. It'll be moderation. I, I, and the I, thing that I, the, the last thing I'll say is that the thing that I liked last night about Bernie Sanders, and I know people will be shocked because I never say that I like anything about him, <laughs> but when he had his pushback on trade last night on the debate stage, when he had his pushback on trade and said, you know what? A trade deal that does not include climate change, that does not include carve-outs for the environment, is not what we need to do. We need to scrap that deal because this kind of incremental nonsense is not where we're at. We need bold vision. And we're not going to take this and then wait another 10, 15, 20 years down the line for another opportunity. You either do it right the first time or don't do it at all. And I actually applauded him, literally, in my house when I heard him say that. You know, I think that it's probably popular to talk about media conspiracy theories like you're outlining. In media that I've worked in, I never saw any level of 
high level coordination of the discussion that would support that sort of a notion. You know, I mean, like the leadership of MSNBC is much more non-ideological. You know, CNN sort of seems to go in multiple different directions and they're like food fights on the air mm -hmm. to think that they're sort of trying to push you in a certain direction. I mean, I think that there's a bias toward the horse race mm -hmm. and more coverage of who is leading, which thus influences them to continue leading and perhaps increase their lead. Mm -hmm. But is CNN and MSNBC getting into their high-level, early-day planning meetings and saying it would be better for us or even better the wealthy president saying it would be better for me to have a moderate who's not pushing this massive class conversation that i am uncomfortable with i don't see it i have not seen it i have seen people told don't be so critical of hillary mm -hmm. because she is the leader and we need her to be coming to MSNBC. So, you know, we don't want to insult the candidates mm -hmm. with our critique so that we can't get interviews with them. I criticized Mitt Romney once quite stridently and was told, you need to apologize so that we don't piss off the Romney campaign because they're like, we won't talk to Chuck Todd if you don't walk that back what you said. So, okay. But it was not ideological. I don't know, because I have seen over the past couple of months, and I would dare say probably the last year, where there are certain voices that I have seen and known to be pulled from the airwaves because of things that they have said that are too bold, that are too honest. And then all of a sudden, you don't see those people for three, four, five, six months. Right. And I don't think that that's by accident. Who are you talking about? I will say that Malcolm Nance was readily absent from MSNBC for months. And he was the one that pieced together a lot of theories with regard to the Trump administration, their maneuvering with the CIA, with their maneuvering with Russia. And because Fox News decided to call him a conspiracy theorist, then all of a sudden he was pulled off the air. I've watched that happen time and time again, and it oftentimes happens with people of color who are the ones that are on air that are telling the bold, real truth, and then they are the ones that are silenced. And so whether or not it is because they are not politically aligned with those that are in charge or because there is a fear of being sued or what have you, when I see too many coincidences, it doesn't seem to I, be one. That's, I, but that I, is I, my that's my thought. I, I don't know what happened with Malcolm Nance, although I do know about his political philosophy and what he did in terms of un outlining what Trump's actual connection to Russia is, which he talked about on Toray Show. Mm -hmm. Oh, soft plug. <laughs> soft plug. <laughs> um, I will continue to stand on I don't think it's ideological. I think there may be other reasons why sure. certain people are be. removed or just not given a chance to talk for a moment or for months. You can say that it sounds naive. I've been at CNN. I've been at MSNBC. I've been at other places. And I just haven't seen an ideological control from the top in that way there is a group think mm -hmm. in terms of like 
this is what we believe, but it's not necessarily given in a direct way. Like, I'll give you an example. After the first Obama-Romney debate, mm-hmm. and I came in and I said, well, Obama won that because Romney just lied the whole night. Nothing he said was what he actually believes, and nothing he said is actually real, and you can't win a debate with a pack of lies. And it was made clear to me, not overtly, okay, but it was made clear to me that position is ridiculous. You feel like that because you're black. You mm. will look ridiculous mm. say, being the only person saying Obama won mm-hmm. and being a black person. And it was not somebody from high up saying, you can't say that. That's not true. Mm-hmm. This is what we believe. But a group think emerges from people who are constantly thinking and talking about these sorts of things. Yeah. Any one sort of thing. You know, I just have to say, I just question who is allowed to say what and when. And I tell people all the time to support independent platforms, to support independent voices, because we're actually looking after your best interest and we'll say what other people are told not to say. Right. Like there is just to me, we are in this mess right now with Trump because of the media, because of the mainstream media and the airtime and the credence and all of it that they gave to Trump and still do, right? The man lies, but we don't go on national television and call him a liar. We say that he made some false statements. Others uh, disagree. Others disagree or, you know, we, we need- can find no evidence. We, we need to fact check this. And I'm like, are you five? Yeah. Like, are you five? Because people need to be told the direct truth. He's a fucking liar. Say that he's a liar. And there was a period of time when the L word was popular and it seems to have gone away. I mean, like, I think there is a clear direction of thought at Fox to where they are told, or at least during the Ailes era, that they were told, this is what we believe, this is what we want you to talk about. And... MSNBC, it seemed to me when I was there that if you had 12 shows, you had 12 different tribes. <laughs> we were certainly not being told this is our vibe. It might be this person is doing very well in Iowa. Let's talk about why that is. But there was a different ideological tenor, a different focus to each show. One might be a little more economic. One might be a little bit more about communications, one might be a little bit more about finances or foreign policy or just a different ways of approaching politics because of the host's feelings. Yeah, sure. And their leaning and within their background, but I, I didn't see it. I want to push on to, we lost a good one this week. We did. Cory Booker. Pour some out. His campaign is gone. Gone. The last black man standing. Don't mention Duvall. <laughs> Wait, he's still in the race? I believe so. Oh. Okay. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything since day one. I mean, quite literally haven't no, heard anything. No, nothing, nothing. Yeah. I haven't even heard his name since day one. It's interesting that Booker drops out now so close to Iowa. Yeah. Because he must have had no money. None. Because John Kerry was polling at Booker's level mm-hmm. this close to Iowa. So there was a, and he's unfailingly optimistic. <laughs> He really is. Oh my god. He really I mean I really do like he really is. He he's a he's a ball of sunshine. He is a <laughs> he ball really of sunshine. He really does believe in the best of America. He and does. I'm like, "Sir, but you're in the Senate." 
Yeah. Like with Mitch McConnell. Why are you that happy? You're from Newark. You've seen a lot yeah, of terrible things he... happen. I mean, and not to dump on Newark, but just to say, if you live in Newark with the people, I mean, like, he wasn't living... <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. I'm not making a joke. He wasn't like living in like a gilded no, apartment, exact, right, like right, in right, the right. sky. Yes, he made a choice, right, to, to live, be with his community. Yes, in a in a low cost apartment to see what was really going on. Yep. and you can see a lot of what happens to people when they get to a survival mm-hmm. level and yeah. how they can be sort of mean and evil to each other. Yeah, and he maintained this deep optimism and deep faith in humanity. I saw that when he was on Toray Show. Plug. <laughs> that was a hard plug. That was, a, that was <laughs> definitely a hard plug. I think it's a really interesting conversation that folks can go back and listen to. But I think he was a great guy. He's I, really I smart. Do, yeah. He maintains faith in the Republican Party. Which is just batshit crazy. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, I have had the pleasure of meeting Cory Booker a number of times and he really is a genuine guy. And much in the same way that I kind of felt like Kamala Harris's suspension of her campaign was a gut punch. I'm just like, if good people can't make it work, right, because of money, right, because of the lack of money in politics, if good people, you know, can't get ahead, then where are we? Then I lose faith. I lose faith in a system that allows for a Tom Steyer Mm-mm. to be on stage, that allows for a Mike Bloomberg, a Mike Bloomberg to have first. about 50,000 ads during the debate. <laughs> like, I, you know, that allows that to happen. And these good, earnest public servants that believe at the core that America is a good place, that we are this country of hopeful people that can come together, have to be pushed out or forced out because of lack of funds. Yeah, it just doesn't make me feel good about our politics and and where we are. Bloomberg had so many ads that five minutes after the debate, I remembered it as Bloomberg being part of the debate. Isn't that the point? <laughs> wasn't that the point? It's like he was there, but he wasn't. Uh, I wanted Fred Armisen to come out and be Bloomberg and like, how are you on stage? And like, well, I bought CNN. I got this nice tote bag. I would, you know, I, that may be his next path. Is that like, oh, how do I get, how do I get here? I'll just buy the network. CNN is owned by viewers like me. <laughs> I really just wish that he would buy Fox News and call it a day. Like, use I your mean, money for something good. I mean, if some billionaire would buy Fox News and transform it into something reasonable, Worthwhile. that would be a huge win for the country. For the country, right? So, like, uh, a Zuckerberg, you've done so much wrong. Why don't you try and do something right? You know, you're using one platform to fuck up our democracy. Here's an idea. Why don't you win back the will of the people? Buy Fox News. Do something. Go- and then hand it over to people that actually know what real news and journalism real should news. be. And have integrity. Don't you love it when the right complains about the state of media and their critique does not include Fox News? Like, Fox News does not exist. We cannot trust media. And they're always like, lo- but what about Fox it's like you're eating string cheese, but telling me it's filet mignon. <laughs> it's, I don't understand it. My kids would prefer string cheese. But anyway, I made up this little game, I guess. Or I just Is it want... a fun game? Because when you say game, I guess, it doesn't sound fun. It's not right. necessarily meant to be fun. Like Kind of really... like the debate is not necessarily mm. meant to be entertainment. I wanted to see if there was some 
breakout. Like, if we look at the top five candidates, we're not going to include the billionaire, okay? Which one? <laughs> well, Steyer. Okay, Bloomberg's great. not even on the stage. Yeah, you're right. Billionaire. But if you look at, you know, Biden, Bernie, Warren Buttigieg, and Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. And I sort of tried to break out, like, I think there's three, six, nine different aspects of the presidency and or what the next president will need to do. Sure. And is there a difference in what the different candidates are offering? Or are we just going to say same candidate all the way through? Okay. I don't know. One of the key things is mourner in chief, right? When something really bad happens, mm, the president mm-hmm. has to come out and sort of hold all of our hand and work us through it. And this is beyond partisanship. You know, yeah, this is a the next mass shooting. 20 people got killed at a theater mm-hmm. in San Antonio. And the president has to come out and say, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm really sad. I hug the nation. I hug the families. Who would be best at that? Biden. Really? Yeah. I think that Biden is a really great emoter. And he really connects with people. I think because... Two, he has experienced so much tragedy in his own life and so much loss that he can connect to the public in a way that I don't think any of the other candidates, frankly, would be able to hold that level of grief and seriousness of the moment in the way that Obama did Mm -hmm. after Newtown, Mm -hmm. other than Biden. I find Biden a little wooden at times, and by at times I mean kind of all the time. And I know what you're saying, but I would default there to, I think, out of this group, Klobuchar may be best at saying, like, they're still good in humanity. I feel bad for the folks who are lost. I feel bad for the country. I think that she would be great at sort of trying to give the country a hug and trying to, like, sort of say, like, you know, we can do better. And, you know, we are sad together today. Tomorrow will be a little bit better. I connect to her the way that I would connect to that little vacuum that you allow to roam around your apartment. <laughs> the Roomba. Right? Wow. Yeah. I wow. connect to her in the way that you can connect to a Roomba. Part of what we try to do on the show is think about how all this fits for black voters. True. So who would be best for black voters? From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. 
Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> um well okay i mean the you know the the tallest midget even if we're in that realm i will say and we can't use that term i i'm referencing uh, an old thing but i will say who is the best out of the six the best little person yes the not, best no, out of dire. the best out of the six uh elizabeth warren for me Elizabeth Warren is the best for black folks. Why? Because she talks about black folks even when she's not around black folks. And I know that that is a low fucking bar, but she really does. And she came out with plans for black women's maternal mortality rates. She came out with a $50 million investment plan in HBCUs. She has talked about the relief of student debt, particularly of those because we know that black and brown people are the ones that end up dropping out of school Mm. and then don't have a degree and and having cured debt. And she's talked about that. She's also talked about health care as it pertains to the black community. So I feel like she has a very good working frame of how race plays into some of our biggest issues and has put forward plans that I think are definitely workable. Everybody else? Whatever. Nah. Yeah, I agree about Warren there, which may be partly a big driver of why I'm still with her. When she talks about HBCUs, when she talks about mm-hmm. reparations. Yes. Which I don't believe that reparations are becoming in the next four to eight years, but just to be introducing the idea and talking about it and like saying like I am for it and sort of moving the needle in that way. And trying to end the war on drugs, trying mm-hmm. to legalize mm-hmm. marijuana. I see that as really important for black and brown people going forward. We are going to have to pull the country back together Mm -hmm. and restore democracy and restore the important traditions that have been peed on by Trump (laughs) over these last few years and pooped on. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be best at doing that? Pulling the country back together. And restoring democracy. And restoring democracy. I, again, am going to go with Warren. I think that, and I've said this before on Democracy-ish, I've also said it on Woke AF Daily, slight plug, which (laughs) is that I believe that a woman has the ability to be a healer more so than a man. And I think that the country will be in need of definite healing post-Trump. And so Elizabeth Warren, to me, seems like a person, seems like a woman that could hold that restore faith in our agencies. I can imagine her going on many of trips to go and shore up our allies again, right? And people listening to her and her really, you know, when Elizabeth Warren talks and when she listens, I really feel like she's listening, yeah. right? And yeah, not waiting totally. to speak. Totally. And I think that that is also something really important. Like I can imagine her, she becomes president of the United States deciding to go on a listening tour to some of the toughest, hardest, red places. You know, to understand 
what went wrong with y'all? You know, because she was hosting her own town halls in the reddest of red counties, right? I feel like she has the ability to do that. I totally agree with that. But I wonder if she's so progressive that the right will feel like, oh, the pendulum has ticked back toward you guys. And now we're upset and we feel triggered. And a Biden is possibly able to make them feel like, you know, we are in this together. Like the Dems haven't taken over and shoved, you know, some super progressive socialist down our throat. And this is not a reason to vote for Biden. But I think this is the logic that a lot of people are using to mm-hmm. get to Biden, that the right will trust Biden as a better custodian of the future. Elizabeth Warren, they think, will take us off in this progressive fantasy that will leave us out. And all the listening will still be like, you know. But I do agree with everything you said. I do think she would be good at attempting that. But that's not why folks should vote for Biden. I don't want to vote for Biden because the right will be okay with that. They don't get to choose who right. our nominee exactly. is. Right, exactly, exactly. And I see a lot of that logic going around. I also think, just on that note too, hmm. I also believe that Elizabeth Warren, these like kind of, you know, if she were to do some type of listening tour, this is what I think that the right is the most afraid of, the wealthy right, mm-hmm. is that I think that she has the ability to convince these very low-educated low-income folks that are in the middle of the country that, no, no, it's not the immigrant that you need to be pointing at. It's not the black person. It's the rich white guy who is holding you down and has been having his foot on your neck for the longest time. Mm. And I think that that is honestly what they're most afraid of, that she can convince them of the truth of really who is to blame for your lot in life, why the factory is gone, why the mine is closed, why your schools haven't been updated, why you're paying more taxes than the CEO of the company that you're working at. I believe that she could deliver that message. And when that happens, ooh, yeah. One of the biggest challenges is going to be dealing with the Senate, right? I would assume, given the composition of the Senate, that it's going to remain in Mitch McConnell's control and that we're going to need to find some way of dealing with the Senate, which will probably go back into super obstructionist mode, as they were against Obama, and saying, nothing you want is getting done. Who would be best at dealing with the Senate? Well, Tore, I'm going to say something. I think that you're super negative, which is (laughs) shocking coming from moi, because I think that people actually are getting quite fed up with Mitch McConnell. And I think that the American public is getting fed up with Mitch McConnell. You think Kentucky is going to turn out Mitch McConnell? I think that there is a possibility, and as shocking as it may be, I think that there is a possibility that Mitch McConnell doesn't return. That doesn't mean that the Senate becomes... It doesn't mean that the Senate becomes Democrat. I'm just saying that there is a possibility that we may not be dealing with the obstruction of a Mitch McConnell. But to that point, who would be the best person to deal with that? Well, before we go there, let's say the fantasy of Mitch McConnell loses in Kentucky, which I think is still a bit of a long shot, but more possible all the time. I'm just saying. But we don't think that it's likely that the Senate will not be read. 
so it would be somebody else running the obstructionist game. I think that the Senate would be run differently. I think that this election is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump and Trumpism. It's going to be a referendum on obstruction and on criminality. And I think that anybody that is interested in holding on to their job for the long term is actually going to have to create their own playbook and not try and mirror Mitch McConnell's. I think that he is going to go down in history, and I have said this before, that I will ensure that Mitch McConnell, when he dies, is not remembered kindly, that we do not romanticize any of his time in the Senate. And so I think that it will be incumbent upon the person who steps into those shoes to figure out a better way forward, because post-Trump, Republicans are going to have to do a lot of rebuilding and a lot Mm. of soul-searching if they are beat in the way that I believe that they should be beat and will be beat. So I think it's going to be a different situation than the obstruction that we have faced over the past decade. I think obstruction is bigger than McConnell. I think it is a Republican impulse. It's a Republican Mm. imperative to use the legislative process in an electoral way Mm -hmm. to make whoever is the Democratic president look bad, look ineffectual. And thus, when we go to reelect them, to say, look, they haven't accomplished anything. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you vote for him or her? They haven't done anything. That was the strategy against Obama. We're going to make you a one-term president president. because we'll be able to say you haven't done anything. So they have weaponized the legislative process because it's now a permanent campaign. But you can't say that nothing has been done when you have over 400 bills that are sitting in a graveyard of their own creation. I just think that I honestly... This is not necessarily based in reality. And if you live in the world of (laughs) Fox and Rush and Hannity then there are no 400 bills sitting on McConnell's desk. They are the do-nothing Democrats because Trump and Hannity and Rush told you they are. It must just be wild to think like that. Like, I imagine sometimes what it would be like to climb inside their head. You ever see the movie Being John Malkovich? I wonder sometimes what it would be like to climb inside of their heads and, like, move around in there. Much have a lot of space because they ain't no brain. Wow. Somebody once said... That the world to everybody is vastly different to where if you were able to climb inside another person's head, you would not recognize the world. Fascinating. And I think, you know, just any sort of person, if we were definitely to go outside of our demographic, if you were to climb into a white man's head, right, or I was able to climb into a woman's head, you would not necessarily recognize the world because the things you think about, care about, and notice would be so different Mm -hmm. that the world would look entirely different. And... Yeah, if this person is filling their head with Rush Limbaugh Mm. and Sean Hannity Mm. and taking these sort of people as the gospel and thinking Laura Ingram is telling them the truth and Tucker Carlson knows what's up. Oh, stop naming them. They (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel dirty. You say the names three times in a row in the mirror. I know, I feel like it's like the candy man. The candy man's coming. (laughs) I think that all these folks would get a zero on that because you cannot get blood from a stone. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really matter. It's not like one person would be able to finesse the Mitch McConnell Senate or the Mike Lee Senate or whoever would follow McConnell. Nobody would be able to finesse it any better than anybody else. Who'd be best at giving a great stirring speech? Mm. 
a stirring speech. I don't know. I guess it depends on if you like screaming. Because then <laughs> Bernie Sanders, I think, he could give a rousing speech, you know? Like, hands up in the air, really get you going, you know? <laughs> I think that Bernie Sanders could do it. I think Elizabeth Warren could do it. She's a fantastic communicator. Oh, she is she's a, winning this game so far. She Well, I mean, but we like her. I wanted to see if there were other pieces of okay. the puzzle that others may have. Who would be best on the question of whether to prosecute Trump and how far to go in that prosecution? Oh. Because there will be an opportunity yeah. to prosecute him for various things at the New York state level, at the federal level. Yeah. And the next president may say... We need to move on as a country and let mm -mm. him go. Mm -mm. Or they may say, no, mm -mm. Mm -mm. what you did here no. was this is part too of the, much. This is part of the healing. In my humble opinion, this is part of the healing. We cannot have a president that is going to come into office and decide to sweep this under the rug like they did weapons of mass destruction. Right. Like, we just cannot. I mean, this you is... know Biden is like, we need to move on as yeah, a Yeah, and so it ain't him. I think that that would be between... Bernie Sanders would never let that go. Right. He would take this to the ends of the earth. Right. And so for that question, I'm with Bernie all the way because yeah. I think that man would be like a pit bull with yeah. a bone. Yeah. He's going in. Bernie seems like a law and order sort of person of like, if you broke the law, you must be prosecuted. It doesn't matter that you were president before. It doesn't matter what happened before. It doesn't matter if you were a son mm -hmm. of a president. You must be prosecuted. Like, we must have law and order in this country. So, yeah, I agree with that. Let's do one more. Who would be best at preventing war? <laughs> Is anybody? Like, honestly, are any of them good at preventing war? Like and, we've and been in, think... we've been in and at war and occupying other people's countries for as long as I've been alive. Well, I so I, I, I just I don't, don't mean, know. I don't mean being a commander in chief so much as being a diplomat and being a strategist who knows how to say the right things in terms of diplomacy, make the right moves, remove troops where needed, add troops where needed, and avoid us getting into more conflict. Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren. I also think Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is very anti-war. And that, I think, is a good position that he has always taken. And he's been very clear about that. I think that the both of them would definitely avoid war. Yeah, I agree. I think Bernie would be much more hawkish against war. He had interesting nodes at the debate and it was really around his understanding of foreign policy. Like that is that is very clear that Joe Biden, from his decades of service in the Senate to being vice president, like he understands the global workings. What do you think they said to each other after the debate? Who? Bernie. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. 
Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Me and Elizabeth, they were having this heated discussion right on the stage. Yeah, I'm like, couldn't did they even forget wait. the cameras were on? Yeah, couldn't even wait till they get off. One of them must have said something to like, I imagine what Bernie said to her, how could you say that about me? You know that I didn't no, say that. No, he had his hand out looking like he was going to go over and shake her hand. And, and she, was she, was, she walked shake. over to him like, how are you going to stay up there and lie? Why are you going to lie like that? That's what I think happened. Mm. And he was just like, that's not what I meant. You know that that's not what I meant. And she was just like, then say that you didn't mean what you said, as is opposed it, to saying you didn't say it. Is it That's po- what I think happened. Is it possible that it's a Rorschach situation and both people in their own mind are right in that Bernie was like, I may have said X, Y, Z, but I was not saying a woman can't win. Yeah. And she's like, I took what you said as a woman can't win. Yeah. I think that that's totally right. But why can't she say these are the words you used? Because I think that it's just going to belabor the point. And I think going back to the pack that they have. The pack is clearly dead. I don't think it's dead. I think at the end of the day, after this debate, the both of them are looking at this and they're saying, you know what? If we don't squash this, they're going to choose a moderate. And, you know, we have similar ideology. We have similar plans. And I think that we need to move forward. But if they don't separate themselves from each other then they'll choose, and by they, us, will choose a moderate. If there was only Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, that would be a much stronger position. Biden doesn't really have the same level of competition in the moderate lane. Buttigieg. It's not the same. It's not the same. That's not the same. The, the, The lion's share of the voters in the Democratic primary are going to this top three, right? It's really a top three. Buttigieg is knocking on the door of making it a four, but it's really a three. I will say this. And two of them are progressive and one of them is moderate. That gives Joe a big advantage. We will find out in a couple of days is when the Iowa caucus happens. I cannot believe that we are this close and this close to Super Tuesday, but we will know soon enough who the 90% of white people in Iowa have anointed president of the United States. I have never welcomed the primary season with open arms more because this means the beginning of the end of Trump. Begins the beginning of the end of something, Mm. whether it's Trump or the world. Or the world. We'll find out. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Toure. I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we'll be back next week with another episode, If There's Still Still a a country. Country. Pray about it.